The following audio is from Redemption Church. More information about our church can be found at www.redemptionchurchlacombe.org. Church family, take your Bibles as we begin a new series today to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 as we begin a new series on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the power at work within us. Before we begin that series, I just want to just recap a few things. We've been in a month of prayer in the Word through the month of January, and it was a wonderful, amazing, sweet time. We gathered in different times, uh, different ways. We prayed here in this room. We gathered in homes. Our men gathered together. Uh, We had some wonderful, sweet times on Wednesday evening as we gathered in this room and prayed in many different ways. It was just a powerful time. I'm grateful for those of you who made time to be here. I pray that you were encouraged and challenged through this past month as I challenged you to consider fasting and praying for the things in your own life, the things that you wanted to be able to lay before God and truly seek Him. One of the specific needs that we prayed for during that time was from our missionary partners, Ron and Linda DeMoss, who are in Canada, as you remember. As we prayed for them, one of the things that they were needing was a summer intern to go and partner with them to help work with uh, their student ministry that is there. And so I'm pleased to say that actually one of our own individuals from this church is actually going to be going this summer. Uh, My pastoral intern, Caleb Dudasek, is going to be going this summer to be able to serve with our missionary partners uh, in, in Canada. As Ron shared that with me, I began to pray for that. Caleb's name just kept coming to mind. So when I met with him a couple of weeks ago and I said, hey, I just need to present this to you. You pray over this and see what the Lord wanted you to do. And last Sunday he said, yes. And so we're grateful for God's work there. And then, as you know, we've talked about a couple of mission trips that's coming up that you can partner with, whether that's Guatemala or Utah. So we will be, although other people are not going with him, so that's someone we'll be praying for this summer and also uh, Steve Spires, who is a member of our church as well, he's going to be going to Latvia in uh, May as well to help uh, train pastors to do counseling. So we're grateful that as uh, people in our church go and serve, and we'll have a special time to pray over them before they, they go and serve. Well, today we get to launch into this series of one that I really wanted to start for some time. But the Lord just seemed to redirect every time that I felt it was time to do it. The Lord had other plans. I wanted to do that this past summer. Uh, But the Lord put a pause on that, and the Lord directed us to focus on the end time series. You remember that series was the end times, and are we ready for the return of Jesus? And so we looked at that for several weeks. I thought it was going to be three weeks. It ended up being something like 17 or 18 weeks as we walked through that. And then we looked through the month of missions in October and November, just hearing God's heart for us as a church and how we can be involved on mission. And then In December, we looked at the songs of Christmas and what those songs mean and the root meaning behind all those things. And last month, we looked at the importance of prayer and God's word in our lives. Hear my heart for this past month. We take time to focus on prayer and the word as a church, but that doesn't mean that we'd stop doing that as a church corporately or individually. You need to have that time in God's word and communicating with him in prayer. So those things that we focused on, I challenge you and encourage you continuing those things. If you weren't here with us, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons so you can be able to hear and be encouraged in that. Today, as we launch into this series, I know that many of you probably have had questions or friends who have asked you questions in regards to the Holy Spirit. And there's maybe, even in this room, some different viewpoints 
perceptions or understanding of who He is or the different aspects of the Holy Spirit. My prayer through this is I can help us look at what the Scripture says. And I would challenge each of you here in this room and those who are watching online to take whatever viewpoint that you have and run that through the teachings that we're going to look at through the Word of God. Let's let the Word speak to us. We're going to walk through this over several weeks. We're going to be answering different questions. Uh, One of those is, well, who is the Holy Spirit? That's important for us to define who He is because some of you have viewpoints, maybe see Him as a lesser level than God the Father and God the Son. There are certain belief systems that actually don't hold the fact that the Holy Spirit is God, that the Holy Spirit is just a force, and we're going to unpack that at some point to really help us to understand the divinity and the divine nature of the Holy Spirit and what that means for us. We're going to touch on that a little bit today, but more fully at another time. Then we're going to ask the question, well, how does the Holy Spirit work in the New Testament versus how He worked in the Old Testament? Or to ask that another way is, how does the Holy Spirit work after Jesus came Versus how he worked prior to Jesus came. Where was he at in the Old Testament? Where is he at in the New Testament? And where is he at now? We're going to try to unpack some definitions and meanings that some of you have heard. And the different viewpoints that are out there that people use. Sometimes interchangeably. Sometimes incorrectly. What does it mean to be baptized with the Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? We're going to try to unpack those particular things. What does it mean to be sealed by the Spirit. So we're going to help you to understand these biblical passages. I know some of you are already trying to squirm and say, where is Byron going in these particular things? I simply want us to see who he is and understand who he is. We should not fear away from talking about the Holy Spirit. I talk about the Holy Spirit and refer to the Holy Spirit quite frequently in my teachings and because He is a part of the Godhead. He is a part of who we have as the Holy Spirit. But I think that we have, in many cases, not spoken about Him enough in regards to who He is in our lives. I think many of us, and I say us collectively around the world as believers, are missing the element of the full element of the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. And I hope that God will bring that about in us. What is my prayer through this series? Number one, I want to glorify God by elevating the Holy Spirit to this proper place that He Himself is God. That we would help us to see that He is not simply second level or second class. Two, I pray that those of you who may be in this room or those who are watching online that have not yet repented and believed in Christ, that through this that you will do that and that you will realize that when you do believe in Him, much like we just heard a victorious testimony last week, Mallory's testimony, that in the moment that belief you are granted and given the Holy Spirit. And I pray that that would happen for you. Thirdly, My prayer is for those of you who have placed faith in Christ and were granted the Holy Spirit, that those of you who may not be walking in the power of the Spirit, I pray that through this, that God will open up your eyes to help you to see what you need to do, what the Bible says we need to do, so that we can be walking in the fullness of His power. Hence the series title, Holy Spirit, the power at work within us. Some of you, 
in this room who may have the Holy Spirit and you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit and you don't even understand the terms and that's okay. You're just living in that reality. And I pray that as you see from Scripture that this will just fan the flame for you and help you just to continue to walk in that particular truth. Here's what I want to say to you from the very beginning. If you have conversations with people, and sometimes those questions may, people will ask you certain questions. Say, hey, have you been filled with the Spirit of God? Or have you been baptized with the Spirit of God? Have you, do you have the Spirit of God? It's important that you turn around that question and say, what do you mean by that? Because people have different viewpoints and definitions of all those terms. But what we're going to seek to do today is simply introduce this series I have more stuff here that I think we're going to get through today, uh, but I have just been chewing on this for some time. My heart is just full to be able to just share with you what I have learned through my own walk with the Lord, what the scripture says for us. And I pray that as you walk out of here today, that you will, as a believer, know the power that's in you. And those of you who don't have Christ, I want you to realize that the power that you have is your own power and it pales in comparison to the power that God can give you. And some of you who are believers may say, Pastor, I gave my life to Jesus, but I feel powerless. I pray that through today and the next several weeks that that will change. Ephesians chapter 3 is our text this morning. I contemplated walking through this series from the very beginning of actually starting out with just a very systematic approach and just giving you the definition of who the Holy Spirit is and showing you very clearly that He is divine. We're going to do that, but I felt it was important that we actually start in this text that the Lord has just continued to turn me to over and over again as the foundation to this series, and that is in Ephesians three fourteen through 20, where Paul talks about the power of the Spirit that is in us. And so as we do this, we're going to ask a few questions regarding this passage of Scripture. Uh, verse 20 is really our key text, coupled with also back in verse 16, and I'm going to try to show you through the book of Ephesians how that Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is the one who is in us, but we're going to ask the questions, who gives the Spirit? Who gets the Spirit? What does that mean for us? How do we walk in this? Some very basic questions we're going to ask today. Here is the context of this series. If you actually want to hear this book in great detail, I preached through the book of Ephesians many years ago. It took us about two years to get through the book of Ephesians. It is a rich, rich text. If you don't believe me, I will show you my Bible. On the edges of my Bible, I have finger oil stains from being in that book so much. It is a rich text. And so Paul was writing to a group of Jewish and Gentile people who have been redeemed. And his point to them was to show them that they were no longer two different peoples. That through salvation and through the Spirit of God, he brought them together to one body, one church. And as he was praying for them, we get to the end of chapter 3, Paul has this 
prayer for what he longed for the people. Because chapters 1 through 3, Paul is laying out this amazing explanation of the blessings that we have in Christ in chapter 1. And in chapter 2, he talks about how we are saved by grace through faith and not by works so that no one can boast. And then in chapter 3, he talks about that this amazing mystery of the gospel that was given to him to proclaim the gospel and that there was this one body of believers and then he ends this amazing doctrinal element of who we are in Christ with this amazing prayer. It is a prayer for them. It is the prayer for us. And the essence of this is he wants them to know about the power they have. Let me say this to you. The enemy wants you to believe that there's power in things of this world. They are appealing. They are luring. They are enticing. But they are powerless. If all those things are going to fade away and burn up and they don't last, then they're not worth investing in them now. Power that you have is in the Spirit of God. And I want to say from the very beginning, if you walked in here feeling powerless, you feel that you have no hope, I'm going to show you, remind you that you have a God of hope and power. The past few weeks, some of you placed multiple cards on here. And we do not throw those away, by the way. They're on my filing cabinet in my office. We have prayed over every one of those. And we will continue to do so. Why? Because there is power in Christ and in the Spirit of God who is in you. I want to fan that flame for you today. Let's hear Paul's prayer. And this is my prayer for us. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work, where? Within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you have been here long enough, you have heard me pray and quote Ephesians 3.20 on many occasions. I firmly believe that our God is able to do far more than we can ask. Or think. 
It was a prayer that we prayed through our month of prayer in the Word. And I want you to hear this text. So let's ask the question. Who gives the power? The reason why I'm asking this question is because I want to shatter the belief and ideology that we have the power in ourselves. Meaning we can garnish the power. We can have this mindset that we're going to be powerful to do things. That we're going to work ourselves up to do these things. I want you to understand clearly you may be a driven person, a type A person, a goal-oriented person, and you may accomplish many things in your life. But the power that Paul talks about is outside of us. It comes from outside of you. So hear me, if you're trying to just be a better you, if it doesn't come from God, you are not going to be a better you. Where is this in the text? Let's start at verse 20, and then let's work our way back. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Connect this text back up to verse 16. That we know that the power is connected to what person of the Trinity? According to the riches, verse 16 now. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. So the power is with the spirit. But where does that come from? Do you notice that Paul is making it very clear Who is he praying to in verse 14? Notice the order now. We're working backwards. And if you don't have your Bible open, open your Bible. We preach the Bible here. Parents, make your kids bring their Bible. Adults, this is not observation or theater. This is studying the Word of God. Open it. We have copies on the welcome desk. If you forget it, get one. Read it. Circle it. Underline it, chew it up, follow it, absorb it, consume it. You want the power? Many of us want the power without the work. That's my passion. Do you hear me? Notice verse 14, who he's praying to. For this reason I bow my knees before who? The Father. So the Father is here the subject And the source by which all of this comes. And then we have some pronouns in these verses. From whom? The whom is referring to who? It's referring to God, who is the Father. And then notice we have these pronouns now in verses 16. That according to the riches of His glory. Whose glory? God's glory. According to His glory, He may grant you. Who is the He now still referring to? God. So according to His riches, according to His glory, He, God, may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit. So where does the Spirit and the power come from? Does it come from you? Does it come from me? Does it come from any denomination? It comes from God. God is making it very clear. 
And Paul is praying for his people. I want you, he says. I'm praying before God Almighty that God will grant this to you. So hear Paul's prayer. Hear my prayer is that I can't make you get this. It comes from God. So if it comes from God, then the question then is who gets the power of the Spirit? He tells us very clearly here. We're given some very fundamental truths that is here, but he tells us who gets the power of the Spirit, and that is all believers who place faith in Christ receive the power of the Spirit. Look at this text again. Notice verse 20. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within who? Well, we have to ask the question, who is the us? We can't just simply deduce by our own thinking or logic. We have to ask the question, who then is the audience of this passage of Scripture? Who is Paul talking about? We just can't simply say, well, I got it. Well, do you know do you have it for sure? Well, he tells us, and there's the order of this book that he lays it out very clearly, that those who get this can have this power. Now, go back to chapter 1, and let me show you to whom... He is writing, and the argument that I want you to see that every believer has this power, but every believer, I'm going to show you, is not living in this power. If Listen to the argument here. If Paul has to pray that the believers would be strengthened with this power, does that not inherently imply that some of them are not living with the power? So go back to chapter 1, verses 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the who? The saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, who are saints, not people who have died and that we have given some kind of classification to, but saints are those who've been made holy, those who have been redeemed, those who are believers. Now, more specifically, Paul fleshes this out for us. Chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he's going to tell us who gets the Holy Spirit. Verses 13, and he tells us what has to happen in order for a person to get the Holy Spirit. Verses 13, in him, now the him there in the pronoun who it's referring to here in this passage of Scripture is referring to Christ. You could go back to verse 11 and verse 12, but you mark those down. So that's who he's referring to, in him. You see it there in verse 12. You notice that in Christ is right there in verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in who? In Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. So he's restating what the truth is. The word of truth is what? The gospel of salvation. The gospel is that God made a way. God redeemed man. God sent Jesus. And so he says, you've heard this. What else did they do? And, say the word, believed in him, were, what? Sealed with who? The Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. A couple things happened there. What's the order of the events that he says? You heard the gospel, and just by hearing it doesn't mean that you get the Holy Spirit. You believed the gospel, and in that moment, he says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, indwelt by, given the Spirit of God in your life, in the moment, that supernatural working of God. 
That does not necessarily mean that in that event that there was some kind of emotional experience. Some of you have had experiences where you got saved and it was radical and you were emotional and the Spirit of God filled you in that moment. But others of you are cognitive thinkers and you've thought through the reality. You have looked at the evidence and saw that the Bible and its manuscripts prove that it is true. And you recognize, you've looked at the resurrection and the archaeological proof that he rose again. And so you've looked at it. And so, yet, but yet you still believed. And in that belief, in that moment, supernaturally, God saved you. I remember having a conversation with an individual who grew up as a Mormon. And then he wrestled with the fact that Jesus and the Holy Spirit were also God. And I remember having lunch with him. He says, if you can just show me clearly in the scripture that he is God, I'll believe it. I opened up the word. I laid it out to him. He says, okay, I believe. There wasn't tears. There wasn't lightning bolt. But according to the word of God, he heard the gospel. He believed it. And guess what happened in that moment at that coffee place? What did he get? The Holy Spirit. He was sealed with the power of the Spirit of God. So don't equate the giving of the Spirit with emotionalism. Some of us have this kind of mindset and thinking of that getting the Spirit and filled with the Spirit is something that's emotional and erratic, but that's not what the Word of God teaches. So understand that in that moment, you can be sealed with the Spirit of God. There's a lot of people who have the outward appearance that they're religious and they've got all the things, but they do not have the Spirit of God. Let me illustrate this way. If you go into a subdivision that's being built... Those houses, the structures are going up, brick and mortar, sheetrock gets put in, paint gets in, put in place, appliances get put in place. But one of the last things that happen is a meter has to go in to the power box in order for power to get there. In order for the power to power on the sockets and the appliances and the lights and the AC system. Outside of that meter, it's just a shell. But when the meter gets put in there, power comes. You and I, we can have all the appearance. But unless we have the Spirit given to us, we are just a shell. And I want you to hear me. That if you've not had the moment of true repentance, true, true belief, you are void of the Spirit of God. And you're void of the power of God. The spirit and power go hand in hand in the New Testament. You can't have one without the other. So Paul makes it very clear for us that when we believed, we're sealed with the spirit of God. We're going to unpack that more so at another time when I walk with you side by side. What does it mean to be sealed with the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit, understanding filled with the Spirit, so we can understand what all of these terms actually mean. You understand that Paul is not introducing something that's brand new to these people. The Holy Spirit, if you look at your Bible, is on the very first page of Scripture. Genesis 1-2. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He's there. Psalm 139. David says, Where can I go from your spirits? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I go to the Sheol, you are there. Jesus says in John 3, 5, as he talks to the Pharisee, Nicodemus, and he says, Man can't enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says the Spirit is life. John 14 Verse 15 and 16, he says, when I leave, I'm going to give you another helper. He is the spirit of truth. He says it in John 16 again. So when Paul here is talking about the spirit of God, don't think that the spirit has not been present. Paul is making it very clear, though, that the spirit who is there. Now, when you believed, when you believed, some of you can't pinpoint a moment. Like, I can pinpoint a moment. That's my testimony. Some of you can't pinpoint a moment. You can just look back at the time of your life and you say, man, I don't know when it was, but at some point between here and here, all I know is I follow Christ. I believed in him. But what I want you to understand that even in that moment of that period of time, whenever it was, when repentance took place, the spirit of God still dwelt in you. So listen to me. Listen closely. The spirit doesn't come and go. Because Paul says he is the guarantee of our inheritance for how long? Until we acquire possession of it. Our inheritance is in heaven, in his presence. So you may not be walking in power with him right now, but he is your seal that lives in you to guarantee you belong to him. That imagery that is used there is what was used by kings. In that day, when a king would send some kind of note to some other royalty, when they would fold their papers over or their scrolls, they would drop some kind of wax upon it, and their signet seal that represented their kingship would be placed in that stamp. So if I was the messenger to such and such king, and I took it to another king, when I handed it to them, they would look at the imprint and they would say, oh, that belongs to king such and such. The Holy Spirit that's on our life is his stamp, seal on us that we belong to King Jesus. And so when we talk through this, I'm going to show you that the reason why some of us aren't Living in the power of the Spirit and of the King is because we're not living for the King. Let me give you the third truth. I'm just giving you much of what I want to say to you through this whole series. If we receive the Spirit when we believe in Him, then who is the Spirit of God who is in us. This may seem rudimentary to some of you, but I think it's foundational for all of us to be reminded of this. That the one who comes to live in us is none other than fully God Himself. Meaning that the Holy Spirit is not a force, not second class. He is God. Now let me show it to you in Scripture here in Ephesians. And then I want to say to you 
why this is so important. This is going to be another sermon all in itself because I want to show you from all of Scripture, all of Scripture, that shows us that the Holy Spirit is God. So let me show it to you just here in Ephesians, and then I want to ask you or ask you the question why this is so important, and then I will give you my answer as to why this is so critical for you to understand. Look at Ephesians 4. Notice with me after Paul has talked about the power of the Spirit that he mentions all three of the Godhead in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And this is significant because I want you to see how he refers to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Let's read verses 1 through 6. I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, that's referring to Jesus, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. How in the world did these verses show us that the Holy Spirit is God? Now listen closely. Let me remind you of the argument that Paul is making to his audience. He has a group of Jews and a group of Gentiles who've both been redeemed. His argument is that when God saved them, they became one. So what he is showing through this terminology is that they are not divided, but they are one. And he does it with some imagery, and he does it also by using the explanation of the Trinity. Listen to it again. Verse 4. Listen to his argument. What does he say in verse 3? That he wants them to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Our God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, spiritual beings. So he's longing for this unity of the Spirit. This is his argument. So then, verse 4, there is one body. Meaning, not Gentile, not Jews... But one body. You, let's use the argument. You, in your physiological makeup, is one body, but you have many members of your body, correct? You have toes, you have fingers, you have nose, you have ears, you have eyes, and so on and so forth. Multiple, multiple parts, but yet you don't say, Hi, my name is Byron, made up of X number of bones and this number of capillaries and blood vessels. I am Byron of multiplicity of parts. Is that the way you would introduce yourself? Someone would think you're crazy. We introduce ourselves, this is who I am. In the same way, when we refer to the body of Redemption Church, we would say we are many people, but yet we are one. Paul's argument is there's one body, not Jew, not Gentile, one. And so he says there's one body and there's one spirit. He continues. We have one hope that belongs to your call, meaning there's not one way for Jew to get saved, 
one way for Gentile to get saved. There's one hope. And then he continues. There's one Lord, one Jesus, meaning there's one Jesus for Jews, one Jesus for Gentiles. He's saying, look, Jews didn't get saved any different than Gentiles got saved. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Do you hear the unity that he's referring to? So then he says, and there's one God and Father of all. Remember the whole argument that the Jews had in Jesus' day? They kept saying that that they were the ones who, who belonged to Father Abraham. And then Jesus blew that out of the water. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. What is his point? He uses imagery and the Trinity. Now listen closely. I'm going to get very technical with you for the purpose of understanding why Paul is saying the Spirit is God. One Spirit, one Lord, one baptism. There are a couple of different words in the Greek that use the word or comes and gives us the definition of one. Monos is one of those. Those of you who are science nerds, monochrome means one kind, one color, right? One but different. The word that's used here, Paul does not use monos spirit, monos lord, monos father, meaning that they are distinct and separate. He uses the word hain and haste, which means one individual, but one as unified. You should leap. That there's a difference between monos and hain or haste. Paul is saying we have one spirit, one Jesus, one God, three, but yet unified. Paul's argument here is like, look, we need to maintain the unity of the spirit. And he says the power, this is why I'm asking the question, who's in us? The spirit that's in you is one with God the Father, one with God the Son. He's not God, Father, and then God, Jesus, and the Spirit. It's not God, Jesus, Spirit. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three distinct, but one. So when you believed in Him, the one who lives in you, this is what you've heard me say, so this is where I get this foundation from. The good news of the gospel is we get God. So we get saved from sin, we get set apart out of the darkness into God's kingdom, but when the Spirit lives inside of us, God, through the Spirit of God, lives in us. Now I ask you the question, why is that so important? Because the God of the pages of Scripture and the stories and the promises and the miraculous power that has happened throughout all the pages, is the same God who lives in us. So the God that Moses cried to, prayed to, and spoke to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea split is the same God in you. The same God that Joshua called to for the Jordan River to split into is the same God who is in you and me. The same Christ who said in John 11, Lazarus, come forth, is the same power that's in us. Mark 9, the same Jesus who said to the man that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, who had a demonic possessed 
Son, and he said, with all things, all those who believe, all things are possible. And the man believed and he was healed. That's the same Christ that is in us. John 9, the man born blind from his birth. And people ask, did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus says, no, he was born this way so that God could be glorified. And God healed him. That's the same God in you and me. So when you're feeling like you don't have hope, I just remind you practically, tangibly, all those prayer requests that you put here on the stage. And some of you, I'm grateful that you stepped in faith to do those things. For some of you, that was a step of faith just to say, I'm struggling to believe. We're just like the man in Mark 9. Lord, I believe. Help my what? Unbelief. And so I'm here to remind you, I just want to fan the flame, that there are times that we run the race hard with strong belief. There's times that we wane, and we just need to be reminded. We just need to be reminded that the God who is in us is the same God that's right here. He's able. The, the passage that we clung to in Isaiah 59, 1, the month of prayer in the Word, is our God, is His hand is not too short to save, nor His ear too dull to hear. Our God is powerful. And so I'm reminding you, that doesn't mean that we get to dictate to God. It doesn't mean that we treat God like a genie. But it means that he's given us the power to walk in obedience to him. So I'm going to show you through the scriptures, not all today, but what the filling of the spirit of God is simply means he gives you the power to live for him. So he is fully God. Now, I want to give you one text, just one other reference point, just to show you that Jesus himself refers to the Holy Spirit not as a it, not as a thing, but as a he, a him. So just turn with me very quickly for the sake of exalting this truth. John chapter 14. I want you to see this. In regards to when Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit of who he is. This is when Jesus was reminding and instructing the followers of Jesus that there was going to be another helper. This is where I want you to understand, do pronouns matter? So those of you who are students, aggravated about grammar... It matters. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit's not a force. He's a person. He's a power of the fullness of God. One Spirit, one Lord, one Father. That's who is in you. Now back to Ephesians. I want you to understand if you have believed and the Spirit of God is in you through the Spirit of God, now listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. I'm going to show you in Ephesians 3 and 4. We're talking about the power that's in us. But I need you to hear very closely what I'm about to tell you. Our walks with God 
either enables the Spirit's power or quenches the Spirit's power in our lives. I'm going to say it to you again. Our walks with Jesus either enables the Spirit's power or quenches the Spirit's power. Remember the illustration I gave you at the beginning, that house it's structured, the meter goes in. There are stories where bees, back before meters were digital, when they were simply the dial that turned. Everybody know what I'm talking about? If bees got in there and the honey would slow that dial down, and the power that's coming into the house could get reduced and hinder that house. Anybody know what a brownout is? Brownouts is when the power is on but it goes down and your lights are not bright, they go brown. And too much of that, if you know, can actually ruin your appliances. It can fry them damage them because it's trying to function but not on full power. I'm giving you an illustration from the very beginning here before we look at the text. Some of you want the power but there's things in your life that's slowing the power of the Spirit of God in your life. You want the power but we're unwilling to do, get rid of, to kill what needs to go to have the power. We're unwilling to walk like we need to to have the power. So Ephesians 3 again. Let me show this to you. Remember in chapter 3, verses 16, his prayer was that God would grant them to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in their inner being. And then chapter 3, verse 20, he said that God's able to do all the more than we can ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. So then he then gets to chapter 4 and makes this transition. I therefore then, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to what? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So hear me. Paul is saying he wants them to experience the power, but he's challenging them that how they walk is going to empower this, enable this, or quench it. Now, you don't believe me. Let me show you. Paul, for the rest of this book, points out how they're supposed to be walking in different areas. It's the hinge pin for the power. Now, this is not works righteousness and working your way to salvation because he's talking to people who already have been sealed with who? The Holy Spirit. So, as I'm saying this, many of you know you're identifying immediately in regards to what I am referring to. So he says there they're supposed to be walking in a manner worthy of the calling. We've already looked at this text. What was the first way they're supposed to be walking? Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Meaning, Paul says, 
if we want the Spirit's power, how we relate to one another in the body of Christ can either quench the Spirit or it can empower the Spirit. Why do you think Jesus says in John 17 that the way that we love one another, it says the world will know us by our Love, And so we need to make certain, he's saying, that we're walking in a manner worthy among the body of believers. We can't raise our hands and sing holy, holy, holy if we know that we have something we need to work out with somebody else. That's the first thing he talks about. Then skip down to chapter 4, verse 17. What else does he say about walking? Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, their Darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've been callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So what's the second way we're supposed to walk? Not just walk in unity with other people, but walk in the new self. Stop walking in the old self, Paul says. Make the connection. He's praying that they can be strengthened with power, and he says here's two ways so far that you need to walk walk in unity with people and stop walking in the old ways. How many can testify that the old ways raises its ugly head at times, that the old ways temptations fly up in your face again? Why? Because God wants you to walk that way, but Satan doesn't want you to walk in the new life. He wants you to walk in the old life. Why? Because he doesn't want you and me walking in the power that God promises us. What's the other way he tells us the way we're supposed to be walking? He's not done. Oh, there's a lot in this passage of Scripture. Look at chapter 5, verse 2, just 1 and 2. So we're walking in unity with people. We're walking not like Gentiles do, meaning like don't walk like lost people. Let me just paraphrase it that way. And then he says, on the flip side then, We're supposed to be walking in love. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in, say it, love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So our walking needs to imitate who? God, he says. Love like Christ loved. So he's saying walk for unity with people. Walk not as you used to walk as lost people do. And walk like God walks in love and purity. And then he gives us another one. Chapter 5, verse 8, At one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Chapter 5, verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So we're walking in unity. We're walking not what lost people are. We're walking like God, that we're loving people. We're making sure we're walking as children of light, not darkness. And we're walking wise, making the most use of our time. So what in the world is a connection with the Spirit of God and the power in us? His prayer in chapter 3. I pray that by God's grace, He will grant you the power through His Spirit to strengthen you. And the God who can do far more than you can ask is in you. So therefore, walk. Many of us want chapter 3 without chapter 4 and 5. We want the power, but we're like, I don't want to do that. I'm here to tell you, 
Some of us are living powerless because we're not willing to crucify what needs to die. And right now, you are playing games in your mind because the enemy is going to say to you, it's not that big of a deal. If you're convicted right now, it's a big deal. I want you to walk in power. And so those things that we say, it's just a small, petty thing. A pebble in your shoe for miles will destroy your foot. Don't believe the enemy this morning. He doesn't want you to have power. He wants you to mock the name of God, destroy the glory of God. He wants you to say, you're just cruising fine. But I'm here to say, that's not the way Jesus wants you to live. Jesus said, I came to give you life and have it more abundantly. For some of us, that's just a concept. I want it to not be a concept. I want it to be reality for us. So for some of you in this room, God is moving and speaking to you right now. And you're in one of these things. And maybe there's something between you and somebody else that I don't even know about. And nobody else knows about, but you do. You need to solve that. It may be that in the second part that there's certain things in your life that you're still hanging on to. And you're like, I'm going to follow God if 98% of the time. But this other 2% it's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal. Paul says if you want the power, you've got to get rid of these things. So some of you, it may be some things at your house you need to get rid of right now. Some of the things that you're watching, you need to stop. Some of the things that you're participating in, you need to quit. Relationships that are unholy, not biblical, you need to end them. Things you're participating in, you need to stop. But for some of you, it may be things that you need to do to walk in Him. Some of you need to do what He tells you to do in the Word of God. Some of the things you need to be obedient to the things He's telling you to do. So it's not always walking by things that we're excluding. Sometimes it's walking by things that we need to add. Now, I don't have time to list every one of them, but I think you just need to make it very clear to say, God, show me. Show me. If God can put a piece of paper in Victoria's parking space, I think he can show you what needs to change. Right? (laughs) Paul wants us to see it very clearly. Now you say, well, where is the element of the quenching? I want you to see what's right in the middle of all of these. Look at chapter 4, verses 29. We'll look at 29 and 30. In his list of things by which he's saying that we need to get rid of and the things that we need to walk, notice what he says in 29 and 30. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Does that sound familiar? That's Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. He says we're sealed until we acquire possession 
of it, which is the day of redemption, when Jesus Christ comes back. I mean, the Holy Spirit's going to hold you in all those things. And you say, well, how is this connected with all of that? Well, notice the conjunction of verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Meaning, all the things that he has mentioned, all the way up to this point, maintain the unity of the Spirit, make sure you're walking in the new self, getting rid of the old self, make certain you don't have any corrupting talk coming in your mouth, and don't grieve the Spirit of God. What Paul is saying is that sinful living grieves the Spirit of God. Meaning, the prayer that he prayed in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, that we would experience the power of the Spirit of God. If we're not walking right, we're quenching the Spirit's power. Until we deal with the sin that's in our lives, we won't experience the full power that he wants us to do. Now this means... You know how often we have to do this? I'll give you a 100% chance you get it right. Every day. That's why Jesus said, Luke 9, 23, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself daily and take up the cross. So when you hear me plead with you for time with God in the mornings or in the evenings, whatever your rhythm is, It's because we need Him. We need His help to say no to sin. We need His help for the power to live for Him. We can't do it on our own. But many of us are choked down, quenching the Spirit of God because we're holding on to what we have classified as petty things. But I remind you, our God is a holy God. And Psalm 5 tells us, You are a holy God to whom sin may not dwell with you. I remind you, 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that those who have been saved, we are the temple of God because the Spirit of God is in us. So listen closely to me. We'll have to unpack this another time. If God who lives in us is sinless, And he is in us and we commit sin. This is why it grieves the spirit of God. It's outside of his, contrary to his nature. So when we're convicted, it's because the sins don't glorify the spirit of God who is in us. When we were building this building... Some of you may know, some of you may not know, we have a generator that sits on the back side of this building. We designed this so that in the event that there would be disasters or simply just thunderstorms or loss of power, there have been times where on Sunday morning, even though that you may not know it, there's been loss of power, we've been able to worship because the generator is running and functioning and giving the power to this building. But before we could move in, part of the test was to make certain it was going to function properly before we get our move-in permit. So the time came, they kicked it on, it ran just fine until, until the power from WST was not running the building 
and the power got switched from WST, our power company, and then all the load of this building, everything had to be turned on, everything. Every light, every HVAC system, every appliance had to be running so that they could test if the generator could handle the load and give the power it needed. As soon as the switch went over, the generator began to struggle. And it would die. Test after test, and it would die. Well, everybody blamed everybody else. You know how that works, right? It's because nobody wants to pay the bill. I wasn't paying the bill. We weren't paying the bill because it was in their hands still. So the electrician blames the plumber. Plumber blames the electrician. Somebody blames the power company. So we had to go through every check stop for every person to come out. Electrician comes out and says, not us. Plumber comes out because the gas company says they must have done the piping wrong. It's not getting the flow correctly here at the machine. He came, he checked his flow, says, not us. And so guess who it was? It was the gas company. Because on the highway, where the main gas line comes through, they put a choke valve on the gas line so that when it was flowing, okay, as long as the building wasn't under load. And so they finally realized that they had to remove the choke valve so the gas could flow. And so then when the building was on load, the generator just kept humming and giving the power that was needed. Some of you have choke valves in your life. It's not the Spirit's fault. It's not God's fault. It's yours. But you know what had to happen? They had to dig up. They had to remove dirt. It took some effort to get out what was wrong and put in what was right. But once it was done, we were humming. And some of us in this room need to hear this. We want the power, but there's some choke valves in your life that's preventing the Spirit's power from flowing. So you, so I just asked the question, do you experience the power of the Spirit? If you say no, then you need to ask yourself the question, ask God the question, God, what's my choke valve? Show it to me. I will translate, your choke valve are sins in your life, things that you need to do to change, to get rid of, so that the Spirit can flow. The Spirit wants to move, and I want to see Him move. In my life, my family, this church, I want to see Him do great things. I'm grateful for what He's been doing, but may the choke valves get released, moved. And so for you, I can't say what it is, but God can show you. And some of you know already. In the moment we sing... Beginning our response time, you don't have to come kneel here, but you're welcome to come kneel kneel here. Some of you need to deal with God. You know what God is saying to you. Some of you it's putting off. Some of you it's walking in new. Some of you might be changing relationships. Might be changing behaviors and attitudes. But today may be the beginning step. It might be just like that gas coming, having to dig up and unearth things so that construction can 
begin. But here's the good news. If the Holy Spirit sealed you and is in you, you don't have to make all this on your own power. You say, God, you've shown me. Now help me. And he gives you the power to change. So trust him. Obey him. Follow him. And ask him to work, to move, to stir, to convict, to purify, to add to whatever it is so that you can have the Holy Spirit's power at work within you. Do you want it? Then let's do what God has told us to do. And some of you in this room and some of you listening online have heard this and you're saying, my life is a mess. I've not done anything right. I want to say to you, God can redeem you and He can give you the Spirit's power today. The same thing as Paul says in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. You've heard the gospel, you believe the gospel, and He will give the Spirit of God to you today. Let's pray. God, thank you. I am so grateful. So grateful for who you are. How that when you save us, you fill us, seal us with the Spirit of God. Lord, I pray that this teaching, not because I am standing and delivering it, but because of what your word says, I am praying that these truths will be transformational in our lives, our families, and our church. We long for you, Holy Spirit, to pour out your Spirit's power in us, through us. So Lord, I pray in two ways. For the believers in this room who you have revealed have choke valves, choke holds in their life that's preventing you from flowing with power, show them and give them power to repent of those things, to lay those things down and to walk in the new person that you have called us all to live as followers of Jesus. And for those in this room, Lord, who have not yet done what you say in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. They've heard the truth, but they've not believed. And so, God, I pray for those in this room and those who are watching today. As they've heard the power of you, Jesus, and what you came for. You came to set us free from ourselves. To set us free from sin and to set us free from the lie that we have the power within us to do all things. But Lord, you say if we would believe that you are the King, the Son of God, and that you rose again, that you're seated at the right hand of the Father, that you would save us and give us the Holy Spirit. So Lord, if there's any in this room who need to believe today, then God, draw them and grant them the faith to believe repent of sin and follow you. Lord, I'm grateful that you search our hearts. You are searching our minds even now as I pray. 
And so, Lord, I pray that we would not diminish the things that we think are small, but that we would come before you as a holy God, knowing that it's only through the righteousness of Jesus that we can approach you. But, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for trying to make our small sins small. Help us to see that none of those things are pleasing to you. So, Lord, I pray, help people today to take the steps that are necessary to unearth and to remove the check valves so you can flow. Be glorified in this moment that we respond in the way that you have spoken to us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, we'll respond in this room and you'll be able to respond online as well. There'll be people here to receive you. If you need prayer, you need to make an altar out of your chair, do it. If you want to make an altar out of this, this stage, then do that as well. Obey what the Spirit is saying to you today.